The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. This past uh, Christmas, Rebecca and I gave our our, our son, he's uh, seven, we gave him a basketball hoop. And this was like the real thing. You know, like it can, it's the one that goes out on the driveway. It goes all the way up to regulation height. You know, it's like, it's the, for, for the first time, this is not a toy basketball hoop. It's the real thing. And uh, it was like one of the big things we gave him. And, and so that was the, the, the deal. So when I was researching basketball hoops, what I was looking for is in the reviews, I wanted something sturdy. So it's going to last I don't want to buy it again next Christmas because that one's already broken. Like, I want something sturdy, and I, I want it at the price point that I'm looking for, specifically as cheap as possible. Like, that was my price point, okay? So that's what I was looking for. So I start looking at these reviews, and um, as I'm looking at these reviews, like, a lot of the discussion, whether this basketball hoop or that basketball hoop, is how easy is it to assemble, And that hadn't yet crossed my mind. I'm thinking like, what is there to do? Like, it's a backboard, a rim. I'm pretty sure I can do the net, like at least that, okay? There's a pole at some point, like it doesn't seem that complicated, but I'm reading the reviews and like one guy's like, I'm a licensed contractor and it took me and a team of seven men to do a whole day on it. I started to get scared. I'm like, man, like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. So, like, I, I'm, I'm, like, now adding that into the mix. Okay, like, you know, sturdy. I can assemble it cheap as possible. Let's, like, look and figure out what's one of those. And I find one, and it arrives. And I knew, like, I'm not going to do, like, the, the dad moment, like, 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Like, that would be a disaster. Okay, like, I'm not going to do that. So, like, a week, about a week ahead of time or a week and a half ahead of time, um, uh, Rebecca's like, you know, how long do you think it's going to take you to put that together? And I'm like, ah, I mean, a couple hours probably. She's like, I'll give you the whole day. And she, she cleared the kids out. I, I go into the garage, and I'm looking at this. I get all the pieces out, and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know that I have assembled at least three pieces of Ikea furniture, okay? I can accomplish this. This is nothing. So I set it all out. Like I get all the pieces laid out and I've got, you know, all the screws and nuts and bolts here. I've got this. I've got the worthless like wrench that they give me, you know, and I've got all this stuff. And I pull out like the paper instructions and I'm going through it. And I'm like, this is like really minimal. And I feel like this was, you know, it, like I can barely understand some of the things it's saying. Sometimes it's not even complete sentences. And so like, I, but I, I finish it out. I'm looking at it and then I'm looking down and it's like that is standing which is good but there's a lot of pieces that are still on the floor and I'm like that concerns me okay because I I went back through the thing I'm like I did everything this said I have pieces left over I don't think I'm supposed to have pieces left over and so then I said okay I've got this now you'd think that this manual would be the authority right It's made by the manufacturer, like they're the ones that ship out thousands of these like every day, they put together this manual, but I'm looking at it and it's, I mean, it's really kind of wonky, this manual, and I've got pieces left over, so I go to the ultimate authority. You know where it is. I go to YouTube. And I look through YouTube, I put in what, you know, what is the, the model number, and I'm looking and I'm like, this guy, I mean, seems legit, but I'm not watching an 18-minute video, okay? Like, I need the, 
I need the 90 second version, okay? So I find that, like this guy, he comes on, and I think he's probably at least put together five pieces of IKEA furniture, so he's definitely an expert, okay? And I sit down, and he explains it, and then I take, okay, this, this manual, which was yeah, a little weird, but okay, it is from the manufacturer, and I take YouTube, and then I look at it, and I have both of those sources, and then I look into my heart, and I say, this is sturdy. And I'm fairly certain, like, if I was to slam dunk on this thing, like, it's not going to break down, okay, which I'm about to do in about a week. And um, I, I, I look at that, and I say, okay, I think this is sturdy enough. And, and eventually, you know, I hit it, and then on, on Christmas morning, it's out on the driveway, and we play basketball. And the good news, I just want you to know, it's still standing. It is, it is still standing. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the encouragement. Um, so it was built. Now, I think... That is a viable, okay way to go about constructing a basketball hoop. Like, I, I stand by my methodology, okay? Got the, the manual from the manufacturer. I look at it. I don't get all of it, but I kind of follow that. I take the leftover pieces. I look on YouTube, and then I take all that. I kind of make the final decisions myself. I go forward and I have a, a, a basketball hoop to my knowledge this morning is still standing, okay. I would not use that same methodology packing my own parachute. I would not like, hey, why don't you go skydiving? That I wouldn't do anyway, but why don't you go skydiving? And why don't you pack your own parachute? Okay, yeah, just you gotta tell me how, okay. Well, here's the manual, like the experts on parachuting, this is what they say. I wouldn't say, okay, this makes most sense. There's some pieces left over. I'll YouTube it. Let me find a minute and a half YouTube, put it on, and then I'll wear it, and I'll be like, I feel good about this. And inside my heart, I feel like this is going to work, and then go jump out of a plane. I would not do that. I also hope the next time I have surgery, that my surgeon doesn't do that. I hope that he's not like, okay, someone pull out the manual. At the end of the surgery, there's some pieces that are left over. I think they go inside, okay? Someone pull up a YouTube video. Like, I'm hoping my surgeon doesn't do that, okay? But here's what's crazy. That methodology, what I just described about starting with the manual, going to YouTube, and making the final decisions myself, is how we seek, as a generation, guidance on some of the biggest decisions in our lives. And I would argue decisions bigger than surgeons' decisions over our bodies and parachute packing. I mean, like, that's how we handle a lot of spiritual stuff. We start with the manual. We say, okay, I mean... I know that this says things about the nature of life, relationships, my body, morality, my relationship to the world, my relationship to money, my relationship to friends. But honestly, I got to be honest, some of this stuff doesn't make total sense to me. And some of it's a little wonky in there, and it feels like maybe there's even some contradictions. And so I got some from this, but with the leftover pieces that I don't totally get, I'll go to YouTube. And I'm not saying that figuratively. I'm saying like literally. I'm going to go to YouTube 
or the podcaster. And I'm pretty sure those sources are experts because they have, I mean, they've got like a hundred views, so they've got to be like an expert into my life. And then I'll take the pieces from the manual, from the manufacturer, the one who just cranks out humans by the billions. I'll take those pieces from the manual. I'll take a little bit from YouTube and then I'll stop and I'll say, okay, with those pieces, what, what feels good? What feels right to me? And I'll fill in the rest of the blanks and put the pieces in place that I want. We wouldn't do that with a parachute, but we do that with some of the biggest questions in our lives. And things that are not life and death issues, things that are like life after death issues that matter for a, not 80 years or 90 years or 100 years of a lifetime but a billion trillion eras of existence. I mean, that's what's at stake. And not just ours, but for our children, for our grandchildren, for those that were entrusted in our life. Here's the question I want us to square up to today. It's about truth. It's about finding our own truth. It's about authority. It's about where do we get the guidance in our life? And let's just square up to that, just see what the Bible says, and let's just square up to that logically. Because what I, I would argue is the prevailing widespread idea of our generation that is very prevalent and constantly taught is not only extremely dangerous for our own lives, but it doesn't even follow good logic. I want you to see what the Bible has to say about that. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want you to open to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, it is about the middle of your Bible, if you have a physical Bible. It's also the longest um, chapter of the Bible, which is in and of itself um, interesting. The longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible. Here's what I want us to look at. Here's the basic thing that this is going to talk about. What does the Bible say about itself? Not what did your grandma say about it. Not what did that YouTuber say about it. Not what your friends at work say about it. And not even what do you think about it. What does the Bible say about itself? In fact, if you are a thinking, rational person... I think you would want to know, to not make assumptions, but you would want to know what does the Bible say about itself? And Psalm 119 um, lays it out as one of the many places it lays it out clearly. What does the Bible say about itself? Let's just start there. We're going to pick it up in verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever... O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. 
let's start, let's pause there for a second. We're going to keep going in just a moment. What is the Bible saying about itself? Here's what it says. It's that God's word is the source of truth and authority that stands fixed. It's unchangeable. And it is for every generation. What does the Bible say? I'm not saying, at at this point, I'm not saying that that's what you should believe. I just want you to know what the Bible says. The Bible says it is God's truth, unchanging, that stands for every single generation. Now, this right out of the gate confronts some of the things that our generation believes. And there's an undercurrent. I don't know if it's ever said explicitly, maybe, but there's an undercurrent of what our generation believes about the Bible, that it's that we, our our generations, I'm talking like boomers, Gen X, millennial, Gen Z, it's that we as a collection of generations have finally been enlightened to be able to go beyond what the Bible says. Like that was fine for our great grandparents and that was fine for previous generations who are not as advanced as we are. But now we as a collection of generations have advanced beyond what the Bible says. And can I just address it like this? And let me just say this as gently and and pastorally as I can. That is embarrassingly precocious. It's historically ignorant because every generation, every single one has thought the same thing. We've not finally arrived. It's just ignorant to the journey of humanity with God's word from the beginning. The very first generation of Christians, they thought they were some radicalized Jewish sect, but then couldn't figure out, while if they're radicalized, they're not oppressing and killing other people, they're loving and blessing and dying for their enemies. They've never seen that kind of radicalization before. A radicalized love that blessed and didn't curse and forgave while they're being executed. Like, it was just this weird radicalized loving group that were self-sacrificing. But then the next generation, the second and third and fourth generation into that second century of Christians, when it was starting to spread like wildfire through the, the Roman cities of the empire, and they had to address it as like a legitimate growing movement that they didn't know what it was, they scoffed and mocked at Christianity as if it was out of fashion. And you know how they described it? Like, what about it was out of fashion? They called Christians atheists. Like, wait, what? They called Christians atheists. Because, and you can see this, this is like, read the original historical documents from the second and third and fourth centuries about Christianity. They called Christians atheists because the fashion of the day was having many, many gods. Fertility gods and God of wine and God of harvest and all of its festivals, that's what they all did. And so to have one God, it's like, you don't even have any, it's ridiculous. And it was out of fashion. 
fast forward through the, through the ages, now Christianity is a dominant worldwide religion, but there's some real brokenness. And actually what you have for the middle ages and the dark ages is a husk of Christianity, something empty. And one of the biggest problems is the word of God is only in Latin and only a few people can read it. And so the masses are like, well, that's what this, uh, this person says. And they, they don't have the real word of God. And eventually a group of, of, uh, of men and women rose up and say, wait a minute, we're actually reading what the Bible says. And this empty husk of a religion that's being called Christianity is not what this says. We don't need all of this tradition. We just need the Bible. We, we don't need all of these works. We just need faith. And they said, and you know what? What we actually need is to get this book in languages that people can understand. And so they started translating it into the modern languages of like German and English and these um, people that went around trying to get the Bible in a language that people, the average person, the farmer could read. They were oppressed and even at some points executed for getting the scripture into the hands of an everyday follower of Christ. See, it's not just a modern thing like suddenly the world thinks the Bible is out of fashion. It's that the Bible is so full of the universal, profound, life-altering, and searingly confrontational truth of God that it has always been resisted. So let's not treat the Bible like it's suddenly we've got a problem with it. Every generation has struggled with it because it's confronting every generation of humanity. What does the Bible say about itself? It says that it is God's truth, unchangeable for every generation. And then I want you to see this, the psalmist then gives the logical evidence for that. He says, you spoke the universe into being, the heavens and the earth and all life. And if you spoke that into being and it's all still here, you clearly have the authority to speak truth over humanity in a way that's unchanging. See, what, what often um, we do, I think, without thinking about it, is where those of us who would say, yeah, I believe that there's a God, often what we end up doing is say, well, yeah, there's a God. Look at this incredible universe. I mean, the billions of light years and the trillions of galaxies and the uh, untold number of stars and solar systems, it's incredible. And then you bring it all the way down to the micro. I mean, imagine just at, at the core of all the cells, you've got just this perfect math and chemistry all working together. God, you are the God of the macro and the micro. It's amazing. How could you not believe that there's a God? I mean, look at all the things that he's upholding and sustaining life. And I love it, God. You're so wise. But there's a few areas in my life I kind of think I know better. So that's great with planets and gravity. Well done on you know, the laws of thermodynamics. You, you aced those. But when it comes to some of the ways I handle my life, whether it's my body or my resources or my time or my money or whatever it is, my dreams, I'm gonna go ahead and run those. And he's saying, well, that's illogical. That doesn't follow. 
if he set up the universe and it's still going, he has the authority to speak over every part of our life. But it's also logical for if you're here and saying, well, I'm not sure that I believe. I mean, the universe was amazing, but I'm not sure that I believe that there's a God behind it. And I want to share with you something I recently heard from a pastor friend of mine, Pastor David. He said this, and this blew my mind, the, the simplicity and the logic of it. You know, at Christmas time, one of the things we always talk about is the, the virgin birth. Mary has Jesus, but it's, it's God, the Father, the Holy Spirit that's just placing life there from nothing else, just God placing life in her womb. And many say, man, I tell you, the virgin birth, it's just one of those things, it's, it's just hard for me to believe logically. If you believe in a God, there's no logical problem because God, he made the natural so he can just break in and do a supernatural thing. I mean, miracles are on the table as logical if you believe that there's a God. But it's those who might say, well, I don't believe in a God, That's what it's, and I don't believe in things like a virgin birth of a child. Like, I don't believe in that. But here's what's interesting to consider. If you don't believe in a God, and you look at the existence of the universe, then actually what you're believing is a virgin-birthed universe. There's a whole universe, and it just got put there. And if you don't believe in God, that doesn't logically follow. But if you believe in a God, then he can easily put a life in a womb. And so what he's saying is, look at the universe. Think about it logically. This order and this level of design, and we've talked about this in other parts of the Faith and Logic series through the years. Look at the design. Clearly, there's some intelligent designer, God, behind it. And so then the psalmist is saying, follow that out logically. He set up this whole universe so he has authority over our lives. And in the same way that, that, um, that gravity doesn't go out of fashion, we don't just one day come up and say as a, as a generation, we have figured out that we've moved beyond the laws of thermodynamics. We just don't need them anymore. We don't say that. In the same way, God's truth does not go out of style, out of fashion. It is true, and it is true in its entirety for every generation. That is what the scripture is claiming. Let's continue forward. I want you to see what, what else that he says. Let's pick it up in verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Did you see how it's describing? This is how the Bible describes itself. It's life-giving. It's saving it's rescuing, it's freeing, it's sparing you from falling into traps and getting locked into it. It's sparing you from follow, falling into something that's actually going to restrain and confine your life. According to this, what the Bible describes about itself is you want to live a 
thriving life, if you want to find the path, if you want to find the guidance to avoid the traps that are going to destroy you, run to what God's truth says in his word. Now, now here's the tension. Because did you notice some of the ways he also described God's word in here? He called it precepts and commandments. And so here's what we say. We're like, yeah, see, that's the problem. I don't want commandments. I don't want thou shalts and thou shalt nots. That feels confining. I want to do my thing. I want to live my own way. I want to find what seems good to me and I want to do it. But really, what that is pursuing, follow it out logically as a course of life. What's that, what that is desiring is I want to let my body and my emotions make the decisions. And anytime I have to hold back my body or address my emotions, it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't want, I don't want anything or anyone speaking into that. I want to let my body and my emotions run free. And so anything that goes against my body or my emotions feels restraining and confining. But you know this, human. You know that that's illogical. You know that the path of letting your body make your decisions leads to destruction. You know that. The, even the most ardent hedonist knows that that's true. Um, that's why most of us made New Year's resolutions. We said it's a new year. There's some uncomfortable things I've got to do to have a better year than last year. This past year, my New Year's resolution, because over uh, Christmas, I, I had, man, there were just so many cakes and cookies and candies and pastries. And I was like, okay, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I got I to have a strategy here, okay? I'm just going to let myself eat pastries and cookies and, and, and pies and cakes. And then in the new year, I'm going to cut sugar out, okay? And I'm going to go no sugar for a while, okay? So I get all the way to January 1st. And I'm like, all right, it's a new year, new resolution. Just for a season, let's just pull the sugar out of my life. But then I'm, I'm like having these leftover cakes and pastries. And I'm like hovering over the trash can with this cake. And I'm like, you know, this is bad stewardship. This is, I can't just, I can't just be throwing. This is good food. You know, I've got to eat this. This is a waste. I'm like, okay, when I'm done with these cakes that I currently have, I'm not buying new cakes. But when I'm done with these, then I'll start. So I gave myself a good week, okay? And then I was like, all right. The, towards the end of the week, I'm like, all right, it's fine. This, this cake, I, I can throw it out now. All right, I, it's, this is the day. And I, I said, this is the day. It was at the end of the week. And Rebecca and I and the kids, we went to a, a gathering with friends. And you know what they had at that gathering? It's worse than cake. Flan. Two flans. And I'm looking at the flans, I'm looking at my host, and I'm like, it'd just be rude, you know? Like, I gotta, I can't, it's just ungrateful for me. And I said, okay, one more piece of flan, all right, and then, I'm, and then it really is my, my resolution. That's what we know. We know that we need those things in our life. You know that if you just eat whatever your body tells you, or drink whatever the body tells you, or ingest whatever your body wants, wants. We know that if you just do whatever your body thinks it wants, or your emotions thinks it wants sexually, you know, if you buy whatever you think you want, just immediately without any thought, 
all of those things we know, like this is not just the Bible, this is human experience, all of us know that leads to destruction. Like we need guidance. You have to say no to yourself. And what the Bible is saying is like, yeah, you already know this. You already know that you need to say yes and no. And because you can't trust yourself, we, we want to say, well, I'll say yes or no when I want to say yes or no. And God's like, I just love you too much to let you do that. So it's not commands and precepts in general. We just want to come up with our own commands and precepts that are just not that painful. But what the Bible's saying, you want to find life, you run to it and make it your delight. Let me just read this last part to you, um, 97. Let me just read this next part. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me, watch this, wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding. This is critical. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than a honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Here's how he's described. Now look, he's talked about uh, what the Bible says about itself. It is God's unchanging truth for every generation. Then he says that it's, it's life-giving to him. It helps him thrive. It protects him. It saves him. And then he describes here his relationship to it. He says, it's, it's my delight I love it all day. I meditate on it all day. He doesn't just dabble. He doesn't just, you know, have a, a little piece here. No, he's all day, he's thinking about it. It's sweeter than honey to him. What's interesting is honey is like a, one of the most perfect foods. They have found honey in the tombs of ancient Egyptian kings, and it's still, thousands of years later, still, um, still preserved. It's still good. It's not spoiled. But what it also says in the Bible about honey, a natural thing as an illustration, is you can't just sit there and eat honey all day. You can't, you know, go Winnie the Pooh on, on honey, all right? You can't do that. It, it turns your stomach. Like at some point, it's too much. But what he's saying is that's not the way it is with Scripture. That's why it's even more amazing. You can't oversaturate your life with the Word of God. Drink it deeply, immerse yourself in it. And then he says this, which is so critical. He says it, his relationship to it is he's not forgotten. He's meditated all, on his, uh, all the day. And then he says, it makes me wiser than my enemies. And most, of, most people who are engaged in the Bible, that's where they stop. That's right. I need to understand my enemies and how to address them with the Bible. But he also says, and actually spends more time on and it also helps me to have discernment about my teachers. Those are who are informing me how to live, how to think, how to handle my money, how to vote, how to interpret current events. The Bible helps me discern those things. Okay, let's bring this into our life. What is this saying? This is the claim of the Bible. The Bible is the unchangeable, 
life-giving truth that you and I need. The Bible is the unchangeable, life-giving truth that you and I need. Here's what this confronts. This is confronting that the way you find truth is to look inside your heart, find your own truth, follow your heart, do what feels right, do what, what makes you happy. It basically confronts that and says that is a, not a healthy, life-giving way to guide your life. You need to have a life immersed in God's word. So Christian, here's how this, I want to talk to a Christian and those who would say, I'm not yet a Christian. Christian, here's how this confronts your life. Um, you probably have lots of teachers in your life, but you have to be more immersed in the scripture than you are in your teachers. Otherwise, here's what will happen. Your teachers will create a framework for your thinking and you'll use the Bible to support someone else's framework. But you actually have to be more immersed in Scripture so that you, and then put that on top so that every other framework you're critiquing and holding it accountable to Scripture. And here's how you do that, Christian. You can't have, I don't know how else to say this. You can't have either no scripture or just like a, well, look, I, you know, I'll, do, I'll read a verse of the day and I'll be like a five minutes before my first meeting and then spend hours a day on social media. The, the recent stats I read is that in the last two years, um, Americans on average, on average, spend two and a half to three and a half hours a day on social media. Five minutes of a Bible reading, two and a half hours on social media, one you're being immersed in, and that will be your framework you read the Bible through. You can't have a five-minute touchdown on the Bible and then just sit in front of the news for hours or watch YouTube videos for hours or listen to podcast after podcast after podcast. One will create your framework and then you'll use that framework to find scripture to support your framework. Christian, your framework has to be the scripture. This is not just calling you to read a verse a day. This is calling you to make the scripture your delight, your love, your immersion. It's calling you to go deep into the scripture and let it formulate who you are, every sector of your life, nothing is off limits. And to go inside and say, I will conform every part of my life. Nothing is off limits to the truth of God. That's what this is calling you to do. If you could make one New Year's push, it's not to add in a little Bible to your life. It is to rearrange your life, rearrange your schedule, so that you are immersing yourself in scripture. Let me come back to a practical way you can do that. Let me first just address, what if there are those who are saying, yeah, but I'm not a Christian, I'm not sure. Um, I, I kind of just go with what seems true to me. That just makes sense. And that's how the vast majority of the world operates. Find your own truth, look inside and follow that and be faithful to that. But let me push you, young adult, 
high school student, college student, you're getting this pumped into your brain. Find your own truth, follow your heart, follow your dreams, look inside, be true to that. That is an inconsistent, dangerous way to live and it will destroy your life. Don't look inside to find your truth. Let the scripture form your truth. Let me tell you why logically. No one follows that consistently. When I wake up in the morning and I wanna know what the weather is outside, I don't close my eyes and look inside my heart to say, I think this is what I want the temperature to be. There's an authority that tells me what is. When I wanna know what the scores are from the game, I wanna know, you know who's, who won. I don't just say, let me find my own truth. This is who I wanna win. So let me, let me tell you, last couple months would've gone very differently if I had been doing that. <laughs> there is a reality and a truth that I go to. If I wanna know how to get to somewhere, like get directions, there's, there's something that is that I go to. And honestly, when you think about the even more important things, like what's true spiritually and what should I do with my body and how should I live out my life? People say, well, I'm finding my own truth. No one's actually doing that. They're letting their friends or their, the person they're following on social media form it instead of something else. No one truly, actually, very few people actually fly to Tibet, go up on a mountain all alone and spend a month there until their truth materializes from the inside out. And the only people who do that have been informed by something else called Buddhism. People are being formed from the outside in. So let the timeless unchanging, that, that's just a better practice in general. So let the timeless unchanging truth of the scripture be what forms you. It's a more logical, consistent way to live. Because listen, if you're just gonna push all that out, here's what else you're pushing out. If you're just gonna live your own truth, you're pushing all science out. You can't be a person of science and find your own truth. Because science is the exploration of finding the truth that is. Looking inside and living your own truth is the pursuit of living in a fairy tale, imaginative land that no one truly lives consistently. It's an illogical way to live. So why not make the scripture the truth that changes you from the inside out? Here are the implications. Parents, don't let your children find their own truth. Lead them to the truth. Many Christians are like, well, I don't want to force religion on them. Don't force religion on them. But consistently teach them the scripture. Bring it in their life and have those things like, like, hey, God is going to lead you on your journey. But while you're in this house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Christian, you, you, you would never let your child find their own truth about touching a hot stove or playing in traffic. You don't consistently live that out. So don't let the lies of the world tell you that the most important things that have eternity at stake are something you shouldn't fervently teach your children. Teach your children the scripture consistently, thoroughly, fervently. More specifically, and this is why we started this volume four of Faith and Logic on this particular subject. 
the implications on this then touch down on the most intimate, sacred, vulnerable parts of our life. Because if this is true and the, the timeless source of truth for every generation is true, then that means the most deepest personal parts of my life are defined not by what I want or what I look inside and discover, but what God says about me. That means God speaks over and has spoken over my sexuality. God speaks over my identity. God speaks over my gender and how I operate and what I'm responsible for as a man or a woman. God speaks over those places. And you can see if our world is operating under the premise of look inside to find your truth, it's not a surprise where our world is. But with love and gentleness and with compassion that every one of us has our own way that we're deeply wrestling with God's word. First of all, wherever you're at in your journey, please know you are welcome to journey here with us. We want you here because God loves you and we love you. Well, we're gonna walk through and we wanna see what are some of the things that God says over, over the series and through parts of the spring, we're gonna walk through and see what God wants us, uh, what God says about some of the most precious parts of our life. Uh, let me leave you with an action step. Christian, immerse yourself in the word. Immerse yourself in the word starting this year. I wanna invite you to join us as a church as we're walking through uh, we have a Bible reading plan. It's undergo on your app, on the City Rev app, the Discover tab. You'll find Word Habit. It has the Bible reading plan. We're reading a chapter a day. If you read a chapter of uh, the New Testament every weekday, you will have immersed yourself in the entire New Testament by the end of the year. And so we're going to do that together. You say, it's already January 8th. It's okay. You can read a couple chapters a day and get caught up for a week. But what I want to challenge you to do is read and then stop and do what the psalmist says, meditate on it. Get a journal, write out what it's saying. Be confronted, be transformed, be changed by it. And we have a way that we do that called the SOAP method. All that resource is on the app under the word habit. Um, you can just watch a short video. It'll instruct you what to do. It's very simple. Anyone can do it, whether you've been reading the Bible for 40 years or it's your first time. You can begin meditating on the scripture. Make that uh, an immersive part of your life this year, not just a part that you dabble on. If you're not a Christian and you're on that journey, what I want to challenge you to do is you're maybe not ready to say that this is the ultimate authority from God, but isn't it a wise, logical thing to explore something that has had such an impact on our planet? I want, to, I want to invite you in as well. Read through it with us and see what God may do in your life. And I want to close with this. Why would I look at this with some parts that are challenging, at times stretching, 
life-giving, profound, difficult at times. Why would I say this is the authority? Because here's the central message of what this book says. It's not a book of condemnation. It's a book that God loves you so much that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came and so thoroughly suffered and died and rose again, so thoroughly taking all of your sin, shame, and condemnation on himself, paying for it on the cross, rising again from the dead, that there is now no condemnation for you. That's the life-giving message. It's this. It's that you are loved. You are loved by God, and he wants you to be in relationship with him just right where you're at right now. And praise God, he's not going to leave you or me right where we're at right now. But he wants you right there where you're at, and he's welcoming you in. Let's close with prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to invite you, if, if today you want to take a step and say, look, I, I want my sin washed away. I want to, to surrender that. I want to begin this journey with Jesus. I believe that he is, that he did die for me and he rose again. Then I want to invite you to take a step. Just surrender to him. Just say, Jesus, I believe. Believe you're who you said you are and I want to follow you. Just simply say that to him in a prayer. I'll give you the words. Let me just say a, a prayer and then you can just repeat this word silently to him. So whether you're at Cooper City or online or here, just repeat these words right there where you're at. Just silently to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I surrender. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I want to be forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, no matter where you're at, no matter what your journey's been, Jesus loves you more than you could possibly imagine. We love you and are glad that you've taken that step. We'd love to celebrate that with you. You can go to cityrev.org faith. Um, if you're here or watching online, we, we'd also invite you, if you're here, you can go to the, uh, the front lobby. There's a place called Guest Services. You can just say, hey, I put my faith in Jesus. We'll put a Bible in your hands today as our gift to you. We would love to celebrate that with you. But church, here's what the scripture says. It says that our Jesus is victorious in the end. He wins. He is our living hope. That means at any point, at any moment in our city, in our generation, in our society, that God can move and he can turn things around. Isn't that good news? We have no reason to lose hope, no reason to lose expectancy. Our God is at work moving. He's at work in our hearts, in our families, in our church, in our city, in our nation, our world, in our generation. And we're going to celebrate that today. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.